This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. How are you? Hope you're keeping well. There was a lot of love for the recent episode, the one where I spoke with Lisa about her adopted Macedonian street dog Lexo. We're really soft when it comes to animals, aren't we? I <laughs> love it. Uh, if you've not heard it yet, just head to your podcast provider of choice and tune in there. Uh, whilst you're there, don't be shy to leave a review. They're always appreciated. As are the contributions to the Ko-Fi um, account, uh, ko-fi.com forward slash three lions podcast. January's hosting was funded by some of you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Now, coming up on this episode, I am going to be chatting with another author who has written an England-related book, but with a twist. Stay tuned. Also, uh, I just want to throw forward to the Nations League draw. That's coming up on the 8th of February. I'll just refresh your memory on that. Uh, So that's still to come. But first, January can be a tight old month for many of us, can't it? Christmas still on the credit card. Doesn't seem to apply for football clubs, though, does it? On the 1st of February, the transfer window that opened on the 1st of January closed. It wasn't the biggest of windows, far from it. Only £100 million being spent by English Premier League clubs. Hard push to buy a single player for that these days, aren't they? Uh, but only 30 players made a move, either permanent or loan. I think it's a sign of the times now, isn't it? What with FFP in place and clubs deciding that January perhaps isn't the best of times to make a change, weighing up should they add a player to an already successful team, or whether they want to take the gamble on bringing in someone to a to a struggling side and then it doesn't go to plan. And as well, I've read another option about this. I think there's only been a couple of managerial changes. Um, so perhaps managers are happy with the players they've got. Who knows? But as I like to do at this time of year, let's just run down those players that have made a January move. Those with an England connection. Now, first, on the 11th of January, Eric Dyer. Uh, has made a loan switch from Tottenham to Bayern Munich. Uh, 49 caps for Eric Dyer, three goals. His debut was against Spain in Alicante 2015. You may remember we lost that one 2-0. Uh, that was a good trip, that one. He did score the winner against Germany in the 2016 friendly that ended 3-2 in Berlin. And he last played for England in the 3-0 victory against Senegal in the Qatar World Cup. Now, he got on the pitch as a substitute for Bayern recently in their 1-0 victory over Union Berlin. But he got a bit of stick for his accent. 
in the same way that you may remember Steve McLaren and Joey Barton did in the past. It's a bit harsh, I thought, I have to be honest, considering he has got a... I think he was brought up in Portugal from a fairly early age before he moved to Spurs. Uh, but Eric Dyer was the first one to make a move. Um, and I think there's still a chance that he could make um, an England squad in the future. He could be part of the team that goes to Germany in the summer. Now, same day, 11th of January, Jaden Sancho made a move from Manchester United to Borussia Dortmund on loan. He went back to Borussia Dortmund, hasn't he? Uh, as that was where Manchester United originally signed him from. Uh, 23 caps to Jaden Sancho's name. He's got three goals and his debut was in the nil-nil draw away to Croatia in 2018. That was the game that was played in Rijeka and that was behind closed doors. He scored twice in the 5-3 win against Kosovo down at Southampton a few years back. Interestingly, 22 of those 23 caps he has actually came whilst he was at Dortmund. Uh, And he won't need reminding, and, and neither do we, but he had his penalty saved in the Euro final against Italy, didn't he? Uh, His next and last cap came as a Manchester United player in October 2021, a 5-0 away victory against Andorra, where he was booked and subbed off in the 72nd minute. But he was straight into the Dortmund team that beat Darmstadt a while back uh, and provided an assist for their second goal. If he manages to get his head right uh, in the right place, Like Eric Dyer, I can see no reason why Jadon Sancho couldn't find himself back in an England team at some point. Whether it'll be for the Euros, not sure. Then we went a week with no movement. But the 18th of January, Jordan Henderson uh, made the move from Al Etifak to Ajax in the Netherlands. Now, where do we go with this one? So back in July, Henderson left Liverpool for 12 million and headed to the Saudi Pro League and Al Etifak, a team managed by Steven Gerrard. Henderson was one of many who headed for the bright lights and big money of Saudi Arabia. The move caused a lot of controversy at the time for a number of reasons. Uh, Was the Saudi Pro League going to be good enough for Henderson to retain his England place? Was he just going for the money? Uh, And then there was his previous words of support for the LGBTQ plus community, which by going to Saudi, he seemed to have stepped back on his word. My only words on the Saudi Pro League are, remember the Chinese Super League and the money that was thrown at that. But now I don't know the full ins and outs of the move, but clearly it hasn't worked out for him. So he's jumped at the chance of joining Ajax, a massive club who are, to be fair, having a bit of a mare at the moment. But I think I actually saw that following his arrival, his number six shirt has become the most popular shirt Ajax have ever sold. Although I think I did also see that they were only 40 euros. 40 euros for a shirt. Those were the days. 
Henderson has 81 caps to his name. He made his debut back in 2010 in a 2-1 home defeat to France at Wembley under Fabio Capello. Now, it took him a little while to become a regular, but he was part of tournament squads that went to Ukraine, Brazil, France, Russia and Qatar. And he was vice-captain of the Euro 2020 squad. And it was there that he scored his first England goal, a header against Ukraine. And you may remember the whole Saudi affair did affect some England crowds and the reaction to Henderson. Some boos were heard on the announcement of his name in the lineups or when he was substituted on or off. But he's always been one of Gareth's go-to players. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of effect he has at Ajax. And going forward to the Euros later this year, I I would say Henderson will be part of the squad. Uh, And then the 26th of January, Calvin Phillips. Some would say he came to his senses, uh, made a loan move from Manchester City to West Ham United. Back in July 2022, he initially moved from Leeds United to Manchester City for £45 on a six-year contract. I mean, at the time, could you blame him? chance to play for a title winning team play in the Champions League I'd imagine a a slight salary increase too but it did become quite apparent very quickly that he wasn't going to slot straight in to the point that he only started twice for City under Guardiola but fortunately for him um, in that time Gareth Southgate remained loyal to him he won eight caps in that time In total, he actually has 31 to his name. Uh, Just the one goal, which was scored in that 7-0 thrashing of North Macedonia at Old Trafford in June of last year. I'm sure everyone is hopeful he can get back to regular game time now for West Ham. And maybe with a view to a permanent move. And that was pretty much it. There was talk of Chelsea's Conor Gallagher interest in Tottenham. But that didn't materialise in the end, all a bit of paper talk or internet talk. Maybe that'll happen at a later date. Who knows? But there was also a surprising piece of news that wasn't confirmed at the time of recording. But Jesse Lingard, formerly of Nottingham Forest, was set for a move to Korea, of all places, to FC Seoul. And he's 31 now. I think it's safe to say his England days are over. Uh, And no matter how much he sets that league alight, if that move goes through, I kind of think he's just a player that maybe just didn't really meet his potential. Shame, really. Now I mentioned the Nations League. The draw for that is being made on the 8th of February in Paris at the yearly UEFA Congress. Originally, it was supposed to be held in Madrid, but what if the whole Rubiales shambles scandal? They moved it. Now, with Paris just being over the road for us, or for me, (laughs) 
it did cross my mind to pop over there and see what the atmosphere is like for a UEFA Congress and, and what it's like surrounding a draw. But firstly, though, for the life of me, I can't find out where this Congress is taking place, uh, whether it's at the top of the Arc de Triomphe, at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower, in the Pompidou Centre. I don't know. I can't find out where it is. And then I thought, what with the last straw, the one for the Euros where some clown hid a mobile phone in the auditorium, the place, wherever it'll be, it'll be on a lockdown anyway. So I thought against it. I'll wait until the next one comes to England. Which, incidentally, we've not hosted a UEFA Congress since 1996. It's been hosted in Vienna five times since it began in 1955. I don't know what they chat about there, really, other than doing a draw every uh, few years. But it's something I shouldn't get hung up on, really, is it? Uh, But the long and short of it is I decided not to go. But the draw will be made uh, and I'll do a review podcast on who we've been drawn against very soon. But I thought let's just quickly cover our potential opponents. And just to add, we're in League B. I'm sure you don't need me to elaborate on why. Let's just say a couple of years ago, we made a right mess of things against Italy, Germany and Hungary. And now we're paying the price. Although from a purely selfish fans perspective, some of these potential away trips look quite interesting. None of them, none of the oppositions, though, should be taken lightly either. Now, we've been drawn in pot one alongside Austria, the Czech Republic and Wales. The Czech Republic. I think they're called Czech Republic Czechia now. I don't know what the official term is. You know what I mean. Uh, So first and foremost, we can't be drawn with any of those. So let's move on to pot two. Finland, Ukraine, Iceland and Norway. Now, a couple of things immediately spring out to me. First of all, Ukraine, again. Nothing against Ukraine, far from it. But having played them in the most recent European qualifying and also the Euros in Rome a few years ago, I'd prefer it if we were kept apart. Because also, you may remember the away fixture against them last year. Whilst Wroclaw in Poland was lovely, it was announced quite late in the day, leaving fans very lastminute.com. And the other thing is, that's very Scandinavian heavy. Could be very expensive. Finland, the last time we played them was in 2001 as part of the 2002 World Cup qualifying. That could be interesting. Iceland. Now, we'll put an asterisk next to Iceland because I'll need to come back to them in a moment. But we last played them in 2020 as part of that Nations League campaign. It was behind closed doors, so you may have to rattle the old grey matter to remember that one. But as I said, we'll come back to Iceland in a moment. Then Norway, last played them in 2014 in a friendly at Wembley, winning by a goal to nil, thanks to a Wayne Rooney penalty. The last time away was in 2012. It was a game I didn't go to, but I remember where I was. I watched it in a in a club just off of Leicester Square in London. I was on a stag do. Um, so, yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Go to Oslo. 
So that's pot two. Pot three, one of Slovenia, Republic of Ireland, Albania or Montenegro. Three of those I've previously done away with England before. Slovenia, of course, we've been drawn against in the Euros this summer, but we last played them in 2017, winning 1-0 at Wembley. The Republic of Ireland, some would welcome a quick hop across the Irish Sea to Dublin. Many that went last time in 2015 will think, no, not again, especially on the football front. And the idea of standing on one of the most shallow of stands, grandstands at the Aviva, it doesn't hold much appeal to me. Um, And like Scandinavia, Dublin, it's not cheap, is it? Albania. I'd like this one to fall our way. I went to Kosovo via Albania in 2019, and I liked what I saw. I'd like to check it out a little bit more. And we played Albania in 2021, but like Iceland, that was behind closed doors. The stadium in Tirana, that looks, that looks good. Then Montenegro, I went in 2013. We also played them in 2019. Both times there was a small allocation of away tickets, and my abiding memory of the place was that Pokoritsa wasn't the biggest of capital cities. There was lots of Robocop-like police everywhere, and there was a very vocal problem with racism from the stands. You may remember Raheem Sterling cupping his ears. He could hear it. We could hear it. And then we move on to pot four, Georgia, Greece, Turkey and Kazakhstan. All very interesting. Georgia, last played them in 1997. I quite fancy a trip to Tbilisi. That looks interesting. Greece, another who we've not faced in a while. 2001, in fact. Yes, you know the one. Beckham and his free kick. Turkey. This could be interesting given the history. Last played in a friendly in 2016 up at Manchester City before the Euros. But we've not been away to Turkey since 2003. Then there's Kazakhstan. (laughs) Yep, three and a half thousand miles away, bordering China. Still, they are part of UEFA. Not the easiest of places to get to. One I'd love to go to I'm not sure financially if I'll be able to do it, though. We'll have to wait and see. But we've played them before, part of the 2010 World Cup qualifying. 5-1 at home, 4-0 away. Now, I mentioned Iceland, and as I've just mentioned Kazakhstan too, I'll explain. The Nations League has various criteria. One of them is excessive distance. So between us and also Iceland, we can't be drawn with Kazakhstan and Iceland. Um, So if we draw Iceland early on in the proceedings, you can immediately discount Kazakhstan from from your thoughts and plans. Obviously, if Iceland are drawn elsewhere, then a trip to Astana is still on the cards. I'll have to do my very best to find an English speaking Kazakh, who knows his football onions. Uh, but I've got a feeling that Kazakhstan, well, they can't be drawn against Wales in Pote or the Republic of Ireland as well. So it does get a little bit complicated. 
Now, alongside the excessive travel rule, there is the winter venue restriction. And whilst according to UEFA's rules, and I quote, League B, no winter venue restrictions applies. The four winter venues allocated to League B, Finland, Iceland, Ukraine and Norway all belong in pot two. They can therefore not be drawn in the same group. What I would say is that whoever we draw from pot two, I'd imagine they'll try and arrange away from the November match days. So if we were to draw Iceland, I would think we would play Iceland at home, Norway or Finland as well, uh, in November. With regards to those match days, I'll go over them in the next episode when I cover who we've been drawn against. Uh, Some people write off the Nations League saying they're not competitive games. I'll have to disagree, personally. I enjoy it. This is the fourth edition of the competition, and although we're not at the top table, those that are, it serves as a way towards the 2026 World Cup. It's not a competition to be taken lightly. And one day, I'd love to see us lifting that trophy. Wouldn't you? Now, it's my pleasure to welcome John McGee to the Three Lions podcast, author of the book, Pride of the Three Lions, the untold story of the men and women who made the heroes of 1966. John, hello there. Hi there, Russell. How are you doing? I'm good very to, well. Good to speak to you tonight. Yes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very well. And, and likewise, good to speak to you. Welcome on board to the, uh, the Three Lions podcast. Now. You've you've written a few a few books prior to this one. One's about Aberdeen, Celtic, Hearts, Rangers, and the and the Scottish national team. So one would think, okay, well, there's your angle, football, north of the border. <laughs> Why now England? It, well, the 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 book series actually came about uh because um I was a a Celtic uh, supporter. Hmm. Uh, and I had memories of uh, Celtic winning the European Cup 1967. Uh, but I'm also a professional genealogist, and my huh. speciality is actually in Scottish genealogy. Okay. So I knew that uh, Celtic being all Scotsmen, it, it was going to be um, a fairly um, easy process for me as a, a Scottish genealogist to do a kind of who do you think you are type book on the, the Lisbon Lions. I understand. So that, that's where I come up with the idea. So was that the first um, book about Celtic? That was Pride of yeah, Pride of the Lions was mm. the was the first book uh in twenty seventeen it came out. Uh and then I followed that up with the, the sixteen greatest Scottish managers. But I mean that includes people like Busby, Shankly, Soonis, Dalgleish, you know, like people that spent their lives in in, in English football. So uh, it, it 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 did cover a a, a wide gamut of the uh, um a footballing uh, knowledge down in England as well. 
course. Yes. Oh, do you know, I'm, I'm now beginning oh, to understand the right. the genealogy side of things, combining yes. it with with football and and your team. Yes. Well, what what I had always wanted to do was I was a Celtic fan, but I also became a Manchester United fan. I can hear some of your <laughs> some of your listeners are going to be booing, but uh, since 1968, I followed Manchester United because they won the European Cup the following year. They did, and yes. I always wanted to do the book uh, on uh, the Red Devils, but uh, I didn't have enough expert expertise in doing English genealogy. But I then hooked up with a colleague of mine who lives in Yorkshire. And he's an English genealogist, and he he was able to give me a start, particularly uh, because he'd actually done some work for Gordon Banks. Okay. Uh, and he he gave me some help on the Gordon Banks chapter, so that was chapter one, uh, pretty well done using some of the information that he gave me, and I I, I took it on from there, uh, and uh, you know like, I then started to find that some of the English genealogy wasn't as difficult as I had first foreseen. And I was able to then produce the Pride of the Three Lions. Now, this might be a a silly question. Um, What's the difference between Scottish genealogy and and English genealogy? Well, the the main difference is that uh, in Edinburgh, you can go to Edinburgh and they have a Scotland's People Centre there. Right. And you can basically buy a seat for a day and you can look at as many births, marriages, deaths, census records, all that sort of thing in the one day, in the one place. I see. Whereas the, the, the English records, you know, the actual births, marriages, deaths, etc., they're not readily online. What you have is the registers of births, marriages, and deaths. And if you actually want the, say, the actual birth record, you've got to apply to the General Register Office in London, and you pay like fifteen pound each time mm. for a, for one document. Sure. Um, so it makes it much more difficult. But but once you get a start, and say you get back into the so that the era where, you know, let's say from 1921 going backwards, when you've got all the census records, you can then go to sites like, say, Ancestry yeah. and another one called Family Search, where you, you, you get access to the, the, the census records. And the, one, one of the ones that was most important for the Pride of the Three Lines was the 1939 War Register. That that was very good because uh, when you find them on the war register, it actually gives the ancestors dates of they had the dates of birth on there, really? uh, so that 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 gives you give you a big clue, you know, as to when they were born, etc. I mean, oh, some would say that those sort of records are, are readily available on the likes of Wikipedia or something when when the players were born. Oh, yeah, when the players were born. But remember, what I'm doing is I'm then doing their parents and then their grandparents gotcha. and then their great-grandparents. Right, now, yes. Obviously, you don't get that off of Wikipedia. Wikipedia is <laughs> good for giving me a start and say the date of birth of a, a, 
of the actual player. Uh, and I do I do put a small biography of the player's career, you know, at the start of the chapter. Mm. But most of it's concerned with who were the men and women that actually produced these heroes in 66. Gotcha, gotcha. So when when did you begin the the research for the book and and how long did it take? Um, now, I published uh, Pride of the Three Lines in July last year, so I would have started it towards the um, autumn of, so that would be 2022. Now, obviously, I'm not on it continuously, no. but it usually it usually takes me, say, about six to eight months to, to put a book like that together. Wow, that gives uh, a, an insight into how long it would take. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, there's quite a lot of research and double checking and all mm. that sort of thing. Make sure you've got your references and facts correct. Uh, and and sometimes you're you're trying to get in touch with um, players. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't been in touch with any of the English players, but I have been in touch with some of the Scottish players. Yeah. When I did Pride of the Bears, which is the Rangers team that won the 1972 European Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, I, I got to meet a few of the players there, Dumb. which was quite good. Uh, and uh, some of them were actually quite interested in knowing what their family history was. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, now it's it's <laughs> it, it's such a uh, an accessible thing to to do now, isn't it? Yeah. That you can yeah. find out where you came from, um, where yeah. you derived from. Um, and what I try to do, Russell, is not not so much just a, a standard, say, family history. Here was here was the parents, here was the grandparents, here was the great-grandparents. Using as much information as I can find about them, I talk about their, their, uh, you know, like their social history, their uh, involvement in world wars within, you know, their involvement in the depression or mm. or through the industrial revolution and the agrarian revolution. I try to bring all that into it, you know, things like the the Irish potato famine, famine you know, why did I, Irish people come to the UK in the mid-19th uh, century? Obviously, it was because of the potato famine and the uh, that the the player that I've got in mind there in the book is actually Nobby Styles. Okay. Uh, Nobby, Nobby Styles was the only Catholic player who played for the team in 1966, and all his ancestors came from Ireland. Right. Ah, oh, and they, two together. Yeah, they, yeah, they they came through. Uh, originally, the Styles came through Liverpool. Uh, and then they eventually moved to Collyhurst in Manchester. And the, I don't know if you know this, uh, but the, the Styles family for a few generations were actually undertakers in Collyhurst. I didn't know that. Ah. Yeah, I, and the, I think the firm still goes on, but it's been taken on, say, by a son-in-law, and he's renamed it as something else. But it was originally the Styles funeral services wow. uh, that, that that was in Collyhurst. Wow. I mean, you, you must have made so many little discoveries like that whilst yeah, writing and researching. Yeah. Yeah. One question I, I I would sort of pick up, and I, I understand it now, but, but who were the women um, 
Yes, who, uh, that's obviously the mothers and the yeah. grandmothers and the great-grandmothers. Yes, yeah. of course. I uh, mean, that, that's what I'm trying to convey in the book, is that without these women, you would never have had the, the men that ran no. onto the park in Wembley <laughs> in 1966. <laughs> of course, of course, that yeah. famous day. Go on, in one, yeah. I don't want to give too many scenarios away from the book because yes. obviously you want people to uh to go and seek it out for themselves but come on give us yeah. give us another one that another discovery that you you found whilst writing and researching it well uh one of the other discoveries i found where um at least two of the players lost their grandfathers in the first world war right so that i guess that's was, understandable um, yeah yeah well that was bobby moore right uh, and his his grandfather was Robert Moore. I think he was with a, a Norfolk regiment. And Martin Peters, his grandfather was called Stanford Peters. Now, I think you might know that Martin Peters was Martin Stanford Peters. Oh, I didn't. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was named after his grandfather. Right. He's, and his grandfather was in, he actually worked for the Inland Water Transport Board. Uh, which was basically working the Thames, you know, the Thames waterways. Yes. But during the First World War, he would have been ferrying the troops across the channel uh, uh, from from uh, Dover over to Calais. Adaptable so, skills. Yeah, and he was wounded in France, and they brought him back. Uh, now, I think, is it Brookwood, Brookwood Cemetery? Right. It's in Dover anyway. The, okay. It's a big military cemetery for the sort of naval and uh, uh, seamen uh, in Dover. Right. And uh, Stan- Stanford Peters was buried there. And I kind of made the point uh, that this might have uh, given an added incentive for England to go out and beat Germany <laughs> right. uh, in, in 1966 because there's a few scores to settle. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see what you mean there. Ah, okay. People who... And that, well, I'll put another discovery uh, in, in your path is that when I did it, I was surprised to find, and generally more, you know, like, I would say 90% of it is English ancestry, hmm. but there is Scottish, Welsh, and Irish ancestry. So you needed some Scots, <laughs> some, some Welshmen, and some Irishmen to, <laughs> to, to, to produce these players. As I said, Styles was Irish. And surprisingly, I found um, Martin Peters had uh, some Scottish ancestry. Did he? Which, oh. he, he did, <laughs> yeah. And the two Charlton brothers, their grandmother was Scottish. Well, they they were obviously she, born She was both. from Edinburgh. Oh, right. I mean, uh, they were sort of relatively close to the border, being up in Northumberland. Yeah, way, that's right. They? Well, she came down from Edinburgh to uh, to Hexham and married. Uh, I think it was Robert Charlton. I think it was Robert Charlton she married, right. and then she ended up in uh, Newcastle. Yeah, she ended up in Newcastle. And the family then moved to Ashington and Northumberland. Yeah. Well, well, maybe when Scotland win a, uh, a trophy, there might be an English uh, influence in some of it. 
Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just get just even up the score there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean the 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 question that some people might have if if they've seen your book or online or oh, on social media, they'll go, hang on a minute, I'm I'm confused here. The, the the Pride of the Three Lions is is written by a Derek Niven, not a John McGee. What's the uh, what's Absolutely. the situation there? Yeah, well, obviously, when I started out, um, I'll go back a year before I produced the the Pride of the Lions, which was a Celtic book, mm. and I'd actually when I retired in two thousand and seven from the railway. I came up with the idea that I wanted to write a book. Uh, and again, it was going to be kind of genealogy based, but it was based on like my own genealogy and my, my wife's genealogy. Okay. And then I found that this book was going to be too close uh, to the bone, so so to speak. So what I ended up doing was I, I wrote it as a sci-fi book right. uh, and I set it in the future. Uh, and it was called 2084, The End of Days. Right. Now, I went to a school in Glasgow and there was a a person called Derek Niven van den Bogar went to that same school. Right. So I took I took the pseudonym Derek Bogar for the sci-fi book. Uh, now, Derek Niven van den Bogard actually became Sir Dirk Bogard. Do you know Sir Dirk Bogart? No, I don't. Go on. You don't? No, I feel quite, quite uh, <laughs> he uneducated is, he, here. He, he's, a, he's a famous actor. Right. Uh, and he, he was also a famous author as well. Uh, so because he went to the same school, school as me, I took Derek Bogart for the, the sci-fi books. Uh, and then I come up with the idea of um, the football books. And I knew it was had it in mind to do a, a Celtic book and a Rangers book. And I felt I didn't want a, a abuse on social media. So I thought if I come up with a pseudonym for it, then they can give Derek Niven as much abuse as they like. <laughs> uh, but it's not me that's taking the abuse. Fair so right. that's why. Uh, so Derek Niven, uh, Niven was actually Dirk Bogard's mother's uh, maiden name. And she actually was Scottish herself, so uh, that that that's where the Derek uh, Niven came from. I see. It's it's nothing to do with the uh, the Derek Niven who played for Stenhouse Muir and Wraith Rovers. Then it isn't actually. I found that out later that, that there was actually a player called Derek Niven. You yeah, know, I didn't know. I had no idea uh, uh, that. Uh, and then I did find out latterly that there was a player. Um, <laughs> So that 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 is a complete coincidence. Yes, that's fair. Has he contacted you? Not as far as I know. <laughs> Maybe he'll want his genealogy looked yeah, into. Yeah. I've had, yeah, I mean, I've had one or two players, you know, like like Lou McCarry, and um, right. I, I've had one or two players down in England that have that have contacted me on social media. Ah, well, speaking of social media, um, if if people want to to get in touch with you, is that the best way to do it? Yes, yes. Um, for for the Pride of the Three Lines, it's at Derek Niven, nineteen sixty six. Lovely. I will. Uh, I will link to to that. Um, and where can the main thing is where where can the book be bought? 
Hey, well, I, I, I've been lucky enough to get the books into Watterson's and uh, uh. They they are distributing it uh, down to some of the English stores. Uh, so if you check online, uh, you'll see which stores and what uh, that Watersons are currently uh, uh, stocking it in. But if you went into your local Watersons, uh, I'm sure they would be able to get it within two to three days because I know there is a stock of them um, uh, in in the the Watersons Central Store. The other place you can get it, obviously, is on Amazon. And yep. on Amazon, you can either get it in paperback or, uh, if if you like, to download it uh, onto an e-reader, you can get a, a Kindle version as well. Oh, of course, of course. Well, I'd say that's quite an achievement to get it into a uh, into a physical bookshop such as Waterstone. So, yeah, yes, c- congratulations. I, I, was, I, was, I was very lucky there because I know that... Um, it is quite difficult to get a book in. I, I mean, the likes of the, the sci-fi book, that they weren't interested because there's so much competition. But when they looked at the football books, they said, oh, no, they'll sell. You know, uh, so they were happy to take them. Oh, good stuff. I can't imagine what that's like going into a bookshop and, and picking your own book off the shelf. I bet that's quite a thrill. Well, I, I mean, what I do is I tend to go in and uh, ask them, do they want them sight? You know, you know, they'll put, uh, signed by the author. Of uh, course. I mean, I, I took a trip down to Manchester, you know, like just to uh, to to sign the books uh, <laughs> down there, you know, like, uh, and you know, like, uh, I, I I would I would go anywhere, you know, like, uh, to sign the books of the if Watersons gave me the call. Oh, good stuff. Well, I, I wish you all the very best with it. What yep. have you got? Any other uh, books on the on the horizon? Uh, well, um. Currently working on um, one called Pride of the Red Devils. Uh, as I say, I'm a big fan of uh, Manchester United, a uh, big fan of uh, Matt Busby. Uh, he's actually in one, he's in the 16 Scottish Manager books, which is called Pride of the Jocks. And his, his story is uh, it's actually remarkable because uh, when Busby was a boy, his father and four uncles uh, all went to serve in the First World War and not one of them come back. Yeah, right. And uh, by the end of the First World War, Busby and his maternal grandfather were the only two males left in the family. They really? Wow. They were, yes. And uh, his mother remarried and... Uh, she was going to emigrate to America and Busby, I think, had the ticket and decided that last minute he didn't want to go to America. And instead, he uh, he went down to Liverpool and played for Liverpool and then ended up at Manchester United and the rest is history. How, how history could have changed had he uh, taken well, that ticket? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's that's the kind of little things I like to uh, bring out in the book. You know, obviously, um, you had the the Munich Air disaster as well. Yes. He survived that. Had he not survived that, if Charlton hadn't survived it, you know, like, uh, Bill Fawkes, if he hadn't survived it, uh, then who, who knows whether Manchester United would have won in 1968. I mean, Busby had to rebuild that team. Yeah, uh, from scratch, basically. Yeah, 
Wow. So uh, that's the little nuances that I like to bring out in the books. The, the Hearts book that I wrote, The Pride of the Hearts, was about the 16 Hearts players who um, who signed up for the First World War. And again, six of them didn't come back. And I was actually, when I was writing that book, I was actually in tears. You know, I mean, it was so emotional writing that book. Yeah. And there's a there's a memorial over in Contol Maison in France, just just to the Hearts players who lost their lives at at that place in Contol Maison. Really? Oh, okay. I didn't yeah, know that. yeah. The funny thing was, uh, in 2016, I was doing a tour of the battlefields, and my brother-in-law and I uh, had cycled up to Contol Maison on the 2nd of July, which was the second day of the 100th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme. And the Harps bus had actually just pulled up outside the church there. Oh, uh, coincidence. And the... Uh, they were all in their suits and ties, and we were going to go into the church, but we were in our lycra gear, so <laughs> we felt it was a it was a bit uh, it was a bit uh, presumptuous going into a church and and, and cycling lycra. Yeah, <laughs> well, it just goes to show that football clubs and and players still are aware of of the past, and 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 if there was no past, there'd be no present. Oh yeah, I mean, if you go to Tyne Castle, they've got they've got a whole section uh, devoted to the the First World War uh, in their in their museum. Right. Um, I mean, that's that's uh, that's their motto: "Blood never shows on a maroon jersey" because they wear maroon. Yes. Yeah, uh, but because they lost so many men, and and it wasn't just the players, but because so many players signed up. There was something like 500 Hearts fans signed up and about 250 Hibs fans signed up just to be in that battalion alongside their, their heroes. Wow. And so many of them lost their lives. Yeah. It was such a tragedy. Yeah. Well, I feel I've learned quite a lot there, um, not just about England, but about, about Scottish teams as well. Every day, is a, uh, every day is a school day, as they say. Absolutely. It's fascinating what you find out when you start to look at a player. Absolutely, when you start to dig. Fascinating. Um, really enjoyed that. John, thank you very much yeah. for your okay. time. As I say, yeah, the, the book is available um, at, at Waterstones online, Pride of the Three Lions, the untold story of the men and women who made the heroes of 1966. So, uh, no, I wish you all the very best with it. Okay, Russell. Thanks very much. My many thanks to John there, or Derek. <laughs> Enjoyable chat, informative and interesting. Who knew all these things? Uh, you can find out more on his social media feed on Twitter at Derek Niven 1966. Now, he's kindly offered up two copies of his book, both signed. Uh, if you'd like the opportunity to win one of them, email me with the answer to this. Who did Derek Niven get his pseudonym from? 
Who did Derek Niven get his pseudonym from? Now, if you got this far on the pod, you'll have just heard the answer. Email me with that answer, threelionspodcast at gmail.com. Threelionspodcast at gmail.com. And two will be picked at random by the 13th of February. Good luck. Now, just before we go, the Lionesses announced a couple of fixtures for February. Now, they're not being involved in any of the Nations League matches and no Arnold Clark Cup this year. They decided to jet off to Spain to play a couple of fixtures. First, they play Austria on Friday the 23rd of February and then Italy on Tuesday the 27th. Now, both games will be played in... You're going to have to excuse my pronunciation here. Algesias? I think that's how you pronounce it, Algesias, uh, in southern Spain. It's fairly close to Gibraltar. Uh, I'm guessing the closest airports are Malaga or Jerez, uh, or Gibraltar, I guess. Um, Of course, near the time, I'll have a preview episode covering the games. Playing away in another country against two sides who aren't from that country, I can't get my head around it. We've done it a couple of years back. You may remember it was November 2022. Again, in Spain, we beat Japan 4-0 and drew with Norway. Now, the FA are saying they're taking advantage of the warm weather. But I don't know, it just doesn't sit right with me. On the plus side, though, I'm sure you'll have seen the news that Leah Williamson has made her return to the Arsenal side. So who knows? She may well be part of this latest squad. Anyway, though, tickets for the games, they are available now. It looks like they are just €10 each. Just got to get there, haven't you? Yeah, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining me, as always. I'll be back very soon taking a look at that Nations League draw taking place on the 8th of February. Who we've been drawn against and where we're going. I hope you can join me for it. Don't forget, you can follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.